We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Behind the Headlines on the SOT Radio Network, the world for people who think. Welcome to Behind the Headlines on the Radio Network. Uh, I'm Joe Quinn, and my co-hosts this week are Harrison Keeley, Hello. as usual at this stage, but we have a new addition for your listening pleasure, and that is Elon Martin. Hey, everybody. Yeah, we just got in. I mean, we were in the States for, for yesterday's show. and Right, just flew in mm-hmm. uh, because they weren't, they were just so determined to uh, keep the audience um Happy, a double header. Unfortunately, you know, being on the flight, uh, we didn't have our computers with us, and all we had to prepare were the on-flight movies. So, right. So this week it's going to be an extended pop culture roundup. <laughs> <laughs> no, we wouldn't subject you to that. And anyway, uh, Relic does it so much better than than we could ever do. No, our top the topic of our show this week is, as you may already know, war. What is it good for, Joe? Well, that's a good question. It depends who you are. Mm-hmm. Obviously, for most people, it's not such a good thing. Mm-hmm. Although it keeps happening, which is perhaps one of the most profound problems and contradictions of the human condition. That the reckless murder of another human being is uh, pretty much universally condemned and illegal, mm-hmm. pretty much, in, in most countries, I'd say. Yet mass murder of other human beings is not only sanctioned, but often glorified as long as it happens in the correct context. Well, it's even worse than that. You've, a murder, of course, is sanctioned and illegal. But um, if you compare a guy that just murders someone to a serial killer who kills many people, maybe dozens of people. That's so much worse. We have movies about it. And, right. And so it seems that it would be that the more people you kill, the worse it is. And the, the more the more horrific and the more illegal, you know, or, you know, in a sense it should be. Like right. multiple multiple life sentences or something in the States if you're, if you're caught doing something like that. Yeah. But, but that's why the context is very important, you know, mm-hmm. because obviously when you talk about murder being illegal, um, you're talking there about kind of reckless murder or murder for some kind of selfish reasons or just, you know, for, for no reason whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Uh, really unjust. Of course, there's cases where the killing of another human being is justified in some sense, but we're talking about murder here, and murder is a very specific connotation where it's basically the kind of reckless killing of another human being for no uh, just reason. Um so that's why I said the mass murder of people like, that happens in war all the time. And if you look back at war, you see that pretty much the people who die en masse in any war are usually the people who are not directly involved in it. Mm-hmm. Civilians. Most people killed, of the 65 million people killed in the Second World War, for example, the majority of those people were, were civilians uh, who weren't involved at all, in theory. Um, so what's very important 
something happening here What it is ain't exactly clear There's a man with a gun over there Telling me I got to beware I think it's time we stop Children, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going Everybody's right if everybody's wrong. Young people speak in their minds. Are getting so much resistance from behind. Time we stop. Hey, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going
That's all that's left of me. Sorry about that, folks. We got uh, cut off there. Obviously, we were just blended on too thick with the truth-telling, and the uh, NSA shut us down very quickly this week. So, um, But we're back now via our, our uh, high-tech, uh, Russian-supplied high-tech uh, counter... Uh, Counter-encrypted jamming device. Device, exactly. That's it. yeah. That's it. that's that's what it's called. Counter encrypted jamming device. So counter jamming. Counter jamming. Yeah. So we we hope you enjoyed that bit of jamming there. By the way, that was uh, that was actually a friend of Relic's called uh, uh, Relic. Relic. Part two. Uh, anyway, what were we saying? Yeah. Basically, that it's pretty obvious. It should be pretty obvious to people that the only way that uh, <clears throat> that war can be passed off as well, war as the mass murder of usually innocent civilians can be supported and passed off as something good, even glorified and rem- remembered for decades in, uh, in, in different countries, uh, is if the people are bamboozled into uh, the reasons why they should support the mass murder of other people or offer themselves up to, to be murdered en masse by other people. Um, so, well, but how does that happen? So, um, like you were talking about context and how there's a differentiation between murder and, let's say, a justified killing of someone. So, what are the situations where people will support killing? Like, what makes that happen? You mean as in a, in a war? Well, just in general. Like, let's let's not get, go to wars yet, mm-hmm. but just um, like an individual. So, what would be a a situation where people might think that it's justified to kill an individual. In self-defense, obviously. In self-defense, right. Okay. That's one. Mm-hmm. Another one. When someone, well, some version of self-defense would be, you know, someone's trying to take your stuff or mm-hmm. someone is posing, yeah, posing a threat to your life or someone else's life. Uh, basically, self-defense or defense of your property or... Um, I think that's pretty much mm-hmm. it. Well, there's a, maybe that, that might be the only kind of... Um, universally morally justifiable um, thing that most people would agree on. But at least in the States, for example, if you think in other countries, Saudi Arabia, if you think about the death penalty, mm. there are the death penalty still exists in several countries right. and there are certain justifications for it. And one might be if we go to, back to the example I brought up of people who kill a bunch of people with serial killers. So if you've got someone who's just done something that is seen as totally evil within that culture, it could be um, like a violent pedophile right. or or a serial killer, and then the, and then you'll get people actually clamoring and saying oh, we need to kill this guy. He needs the death penalty, he or she. And you can even get examples of like public lynchings. And um, there's that example. It's a, a great story. I think we've talked about it before. Um, the in broad daylight. Uh, right. What was that guy's name? The uh, Ken McElroy. Yeah, Ken McElroy, and how. This guy was just a, a terror for this in Missouri in the in the eighties in a place called Skidmore. Yeah, and he he was a this, just a scuzzy individual who was just a total. Well, you you read the story, you read the book, and this guy was a psychopath, and he just ruined people's lives. And it got so bad that at the end he was shot in broad daylight in in the street of this small town, and um, no one turned anyone in. It was just like, okay, we're not going to say anything. Um, he's dead, and that's good, and and we're fine with that. 
And so, right, so the other example would be rooting out an evil within yeah. your local community or mm-hmm. within society. People will support that. And that's, those are, so those are justifiable. So we're not saying we're not kind of complete uh, peaceniks here in that sense that we, there is a situation where, where killing someone else it can be justified as part of life, right? I mean, uh, Harrison described psychopaths and stuff uh, as, as, you know, in your mid, in, in in the middle of a, of a community or wreaking havoc in a community, and that has to be rooted out. So, all um, not a self-defense. But it's an interesting it's an interesting um, yeah. kind of example you gave because mm-hmm. uh, what we're really saying here is that the context in which large amount of people large amount of people would would either uh, support war or go to war themselves and kill. And get killed, be killed on mass, or kill other people on mass, is in the context where they've been lied to about the reasons for it. They've been whipped up into, a, like I said, a fervor over uh, some some noble ideal. Uh, basically, what people do, or what happens to people, is that uh, that situation, either one or both of those situations that you describe, where people will justify the murder, justify killing another person, is uh, used. Mm-hmm. On a large scale, you know, for, for a nation, for example, yeah. uh, where it's said that the person who is uh, threatening you, i.e., invokes your sense of self-defense, or the person is a, um, a kind of a, a, an evildoer, an evildoer in your in, world, the global, in the global society, let's say, yeah. And uh, so it's, it's strange. It's, it's kind of interesting that. Uh, on the one hand, we would justify it at a local level and say that's fine, but it's used. The same thing, the same motivation among people where they will allow for murder is used uh, by people with access to the minds of large numbers of people in society to manipulate them into going and attacking another uh, country or waging war in another country. Of course, that, that kind of situation could happen uh, and probably has happened many times at a local level as well, where one person is demonized in a community. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, and could be sent to prison or could be attacked and killed uh, by someone with an ulterior agent, uh, ulterior motives, you know. So I think the point here is that, you know, war obviously is something that has happened throughout human history and has led to the death and suffering of millions of people, the destruction of societies, and it has shaped the world as we know it today because war basically tends to shape the entire uh, can, can shape the borders of nations and, uh, and the demographics of, of countries and, and cause mass migrations one way or another. So it's uh, it, it's something that's a mainstay of human existence, um, but by and large it has been done not for the right reasons because by and large there hasn't been throughout history there hasn't been that one kind of uh, evil doer in the world who's who, who's planning to, to threaten all people of the world who need to protect themselves against them and therefore go to war. Of course, this was the way it was presented during World War II, when Hitler was the man who was trying to invade all other countries. But that was a situation where you have the people who, who, who manipulate populations into going to war doing exactly what I described on a global level, where if, if, if you can imagine the, the situation in the local community where one person... Uh, who is someone with an ulterior motive in the community IDs another and says he's out to get you all let's invade and kill him not to say that in the in the situation of World War II Hitler wasn't wasn't a, a bad guy let's say but what I'm saying is the people who are uh, 
who used him as the boogeyman to uh, start a world war that led to the death of 65 million people, most of them civilians, mm -hmm. the people who were doing that were just as bad as Hitler. Mm -hmm. So, obviously, what we're leading to here is the idea that there's this cabal of people in positions of power who uh, appear to know, you know, human uh, emotions and human the way human psychology works very well and they use it and exploit it against us. Mm -hmm. And the important people, thing people have to remember is what we've said on a couple of occasions already in this, in the short period of time we've been, been on the air, is that in every war, the majority of people who are always killed are civilians who have nothing to do with the war. Effectively, they have almost no idea what's really going on. They're the ones who are, who are killed. Uh, the majority of people in any work, other people, of those kind of people are killed. And... Um, so it's fair to say that most wars are actually wars on a civilian population. Mm -hmm. so, but it was, go ahead. Yeah, you know, and, and the interesting thing is that um, most of those people, uh, very sadly, never have the backstory of uh, how, in fact, those those leaders that are being, um, you know, the, the cause of the war have been propped up, supported, financed, um, and uh, and ultimately um, put into this position of of being vilified. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, since World War II, uh, we've seen that situation a number of times since, uh, with infinitely less justification than you know the world powers had uh, during World War II to go after Hitler. Mm -hmm. So it, it's almost as though you know you have uh, the military-industrial complex, let's say. Um, the arms dealers, all of these guys who were, you know, standing to make um, a, a crap load of money uh, in armaments and, um, you know, supporting this war infrastructure. Um, but then you have the industrialists, the financiers, uh, you know, IBM, Ford, um, all of these companies that um, helped create the situation mm -hmm. to begin with. Um, and, and somehow that's the dark underbelly uh, that uh, that doesn't seem to get exposed mm -hmm. um, in you know in this theater in this in this drama that we call war. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a whole industry behind war, uh, and as we've said on on previous shows on a few occasions, uh, war is profitable just. Uh, in terms of the process, in terms of the process of dropping bombs mm -hmm. on anybody, anywhere, right. for any reason you can come up with, because somebody has to make those bombs, and it's the taxpayer who pays for them, because the government pays the armament, uh, arms manufacturers, who usually government uh, officials are quite pally with, mm -hmm. and very often some of them have been in politics themselves and have gone into the arms industry. And it's, they have a product. It's like generate. It's like drumming up business. War effectively is drumming up business for armaments uh, manufacturers. I think that's that's one of the <clears throat> dynamics, the things about capitalism that most people don't really get on a visceral level, or it's not consciously acknowledged that this is what goes on. That this is the nature of capitalism, and they don't get it because they just don't think in those terms naturally. People just don't naturally think in this kind of game theory way. It's like, uh, I read an article recently where it was described as, it's like the guy who runs a windshield repair shop and during the night he goes around smashing people's windshields and then during the day his business goes up like 400%. Okay. 
because when you've got a product or you've got a service and you make money from it, in the cold calculus, the cold calculations of capitalism, you want to either make the problem that you're solving worse so that you have more opportunities to solve that problem and thus make money, or you want your product, you want a greater market for your product, and so whatever your product does, you would ideally want the conditions available so that people would want to buy your product. So, of course, for something like, you know, innocuous or benign, like, um, you know, just some, well, I guess it, it's never really that innocuous or benign if you've got some, like, technology or something, because really people don't necessarily need it, but you want people to think they need it so that they'll buy it. But then when you get something like the pharmaceutical industry, then you're selling something that you're only, you can only sell if people are sick and suffering, and you want to make money. So, really, the cold, hard fact is that, pharmaceutical companies want people to be sick. They want people to suffer because that makes them more money. And they don't want to cure anyone because if you cure someone, then you stop making money. That's just the way it works. So if you, with the arms industry, you want conflicts around the world because that's how you sell your weapons. You want an arms race because you want people to buy your weapons. And there was even, I think, on the on your on behind the headlines several months ago, I think you guys had a clip of um, this this person talking about um, there is basically like an arms show where they're talking about the conflict zones and oh this is a great market right now you know we're selling here and uh, you know uh, the, the conditions are just right for for this product and, and they're talking as if. Uh, you know, they're just discussing the, the stock market or whatever, but they're talking about about wars going on and how to profit from them. And it's just like super easy for them to do it. It's just there's no no acknowledgement in the in the voice and the emotion and what they're doing that what they're doing is actually talking about just thousands, up to hundreds of thousands, millions of people dying. Mm -hmm. They're making money off of this. Right. It's just astounding. I mean, that is. To me, when you hear someone talking like that and you hear politicians talking in the same way about war, and there's loads of quotes you can get from politicians throughout history where they just, they have no problem whatsoever in consigning uh, hundreds of thousands of military men, for example, to war in which they know they're going to die. And, I mean, they rarely talk about all of the, the fact that more uh, civilians than, than that even are, are undoubtedly going to die as well because that's a bit of a touchy issue because that would expose it but I mean it's obvious that these people have no conscience whatsoever and if people would just look at that situation and look listen to those kinds of people and look at the way that wars are waged and are continuing, continuing to be waged today and realize that these people obviously have a serious problem with conscience in, in the sense of they do not care at all in any way, shape, or form that they can and do and will make decisions to that will directly result in the deaths of millions, potentially, of innocent people. Right. And they know, they, they know that, but they have in some way justified it to themselves, if they even bother to justify it themselves. Obviously, something like that is unjustifiable. If you have no good reason to go to war other than for your own profit, and you know that potentially millions of people will die, and you go, yeah, sounds good. There's something fundamentally wrong there, and if people would just focus on that and realize that that is the source of most of the ills on this planet, you have the answer right there. But people have heard of living a 
you know, there was a, a fantastic description by Pepe Escobar recently in one of his articles. Uh, he was describing the uh, the kind of geopolitical chess game that's being played right now in uh, the Middle East now that uh, Russia's intervened in Syria. And, um, you know, he described a, a kind of Saudi, uh, um, you know, in, in, his, uh, in his kind of den of iniquity uh, with another buddy of his from, like, Turkey or, or um, Oman mm-hmm. or somewhere, you know, having, uh, having drinks of cognac and getting lap dances and agreeing upon, uh, you know, further escalating things with Russia. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I read that, I thought, you know, it's probably not far off. No, mm, not at isn't. all. Uh, you know, these guys are, are don't think about the implications of what they do. Um, they're they're half conscious, if that, uh, about the implications of of escalating war. Uh, the bottom line is maintaining their uh, their lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think for the average person who who, who doesn't. Uh, exist in that kind of world, uh, it's, it's unfathomable mm-hmm. uh, to, to be making such uh, moves that influence so many mm-hmm. uh, in such a cavalier way as these guys. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a good way to describe it, that the reason they, they do this is to uh, maintain their own positions of wealth and power. Um, and, I mean, the, the, the direct the, the evidence is quite clear that the, the direct way that they maintain themselves in positions of power is through the death of X number of very often innocent civilians. Because effect, effectively, the blood, I mean, there's a direct connection, a direct line to their positions of wealth and power to the blood of large numbers of innocent civilians. Because that's what they do. I mean, these people are fighting amongst themselves and fighting for power. And the way that they do it appears to be to wage some kind of war, either overt or covert war, in which other people die for no reason other than to keep them in positions of power. So, I mean, that's a clear, clear you can kind of make it, you know, and it's not an exaggeration to say that, you know. Um, well, you uh, you talked about the, the image just that Pepe Escobar gave of, you know, getting these two guys getting lap dances and making this shady deal. And it actually isn't far from the truth at all. In fact, that's probably a tame version. Um, on the truth perspective, a couple of months ago, we talked about um, a book written by Nick Bryant, who's an investigative journalist. He wrote the book on the Franklin scandal a couple of years ago. And his second book just came out earlier this year, late last year, um, Confessions of a D.C. Madam, uh, co-written with Henry Benson, who is a guy that figures into the, the Franklin scandal. Um, this is Henry Vincent's um, kind of memoir, little autobiography. He was the the um, the owner and operator of the biggest DC uh, gay escort service, and just a ton of people from you know Capitol Hill and all over the place were involved in this. And he describes the things he saw and the the parties he saw at this CIA connected guy Craig Spence's house. Mm-hmm. And so these were big parties. Um, you know, uh, bowls of cocaine, um, prostitutes, escorts, and all of these big head honcho figures from military intelligence um, politics um, getting together at these parties and talking about business, talking about, um, 
you know, transactions and business deals, pharmaceutical comp- pharmaceutical deals in other countries, and that's that's the environment that these people, um, or that some of these people, often make these decisions in. And for me, at least, um, talking about how to make sense of this and bringing in the psychopathy angle, for me, it wasn't so much uh, so much looking at all of these things and then coming to the conclusion, oh, this is a psychopath. For me, first of all. I had to just read about psychopaths with no connection to anything else whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So just like, okay, this is interesting, so I'm going to read about it. And when you read the case studies, like if you just read Robert Hare's book, uh, Without Conscience, and you just read the case studies and the way psychopaths think, the justifications they give for things, the, 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 what they reveal about the thought processes that lead them to make the decisions they make, then everything becomes crystal clear because you see that these people the way that they think, the way that they make decisions is that cold, calculated, capitalistic uh, mindset where, okay, well, what do I want? Okay, this is what I want. Well, how do I get it? Well, they use people in this sense. So they'll say, they'll, first of all, they use people's emotions. So they say, well, okay, well, I want this person to do this. Well, how do, when, in what situation do people ordinarily act in a certain way? Well, when they're angry or when they're sad, and then they'll react like that, and that gets to be what I want. So I've got to make this person angry or sad or whatever. That's just a you know, very general, simple way of doing it. But when they, what they actually do is that they, it's, it's this instrumental violence where they totally manipulate people, and they're basically just capitalists. And if we think not necessarily in terms of money, but uh, in terms of just anything that they want. And that is the mindset of someone who will say, okay, I've got this drug. Uh, Let's say it's a diabetes drug or something. And so how do I make the most money? Well, obviously, I want as many people to get diabetes as possible. I want people to be sick, and I want them to buy my drug. And the drug can't cure them, so I've got to make it so that, you know, it might... It may or may not offer any help whatsoever. If it doesn't, then I'll just pretend it does. I'll pay someone to come up with the studies to say that it works. And if it does have some help, well, then, okay, then I'll use that drug because it offers a little bit of help, but they're going to be on it for the rest of their lives. And that's going to make me, you know, a boatload of money, and that's what I want. And that's how these people work in all areas of life, even if that means, okay, well, I want this guy's job. Okay, so I've got to manipulate the situation in such a way that it looks like this guy uh, does something that really deserves for him to be fired, or he does really good work. And I, you know, me being lazy and just wanting to get ahead without doing anything, I'm going to come up with a way to use his work and make it look like I'm doing it. And then he's going to look like a lazy slob, and he's going to get fired, and I'll get his his position and praise for everything that he's done. And or, um, you know, this guy's just a real pain. He's in my way. Um, the only way for me to get by him is for me to have him killed or to kill him. So, okay, I'm going to do that, and this is how I'm going to set it up, and then, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And when you see the examples of, of these people and the way they operate, then you look at politics and you just say, okay, that explains it all. I mean, politics, corporatism, it's it's just all there. Well, you know, in, in coming to understand uh, better how all this works, uh, one of the first examples for me was uh, reading this guy, um, Sherman Skolnick, who was his court reformer uh, through the late 50s and uh, I think early 2000s until he died. Uh, he knew a lot of people in intelligence. Uh, he knew the ins and outs of, uh, of, of getting information. 
and um, and he described in in quite some detail um, the events that led up to the first war in Iraq uh, between Daddy Bush and Saddam Hussein, mm-hmm. and um, and a lot of the facts have come to light, but but there were certain others that simply portrayed uh, George Herbert Walker Bush um, as this kind of arch criminal. He was. Uh, he is. He is. Uh, a kind of a, a, a geopolitical mafioso who, you know, had a certain uh, shakedown deal with uh, Saddam Hussein and, and certain oil interests in the Middle East that went bad, that went sour. And then when Saddam Hussein wanted to, he wanted to reclaim some, some land in a border uh, dispute with Kuwait, if, I, if I'm not uh, mm-hmm. mistaken, uh, you know, he checked with April Glasby, the U.S.'s representative, and said, you know, we'll... How will the U.S. respond to this? And she said, we won't do anything. So, of course, he was led into this trap. He, he, uh, he got into Kuwait. And then Daddy Bush had a reason to bring in the military to go after his former business partner, Saddam Hussein. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when you think about it in those terms, uh, because most people, when you, when, you, when you talk to them about a particular politician doing something, or you try and impart to them just how bad things are mm-hmm. and, and just how probable it is that these people may in fact be psychopaths. Um, you know, people say, yeah, sure. You know, there, there's a lot of corruption. No, it's not just corruption. These people are arch criminals. They're criminals on levels that, uh, that we're not used to thinking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it, it kind of speaks to what you were saying a little earlier, Harrison, about, um, you know, uh, kind of um, most of us being very used to um, you know, wanting retribution for a single murderer, mm-hmm. but, but not even imagining um, that, that it's existing on, on this other scale by leaders who are leading us, mm-hmm. uh, separate from those leaders that are being pointed to pointed to abroad in order to um, kind of satisfy the, the whims and, and power games of our own leaders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's a problem. It, it's, a, it's a real big problem. Um, and people, I don't know, I mean, obviously there are an aspect of this that gets into the kind of Face or credence that people put in people in positions of, of power uh, and authority, you know that that's a major aspect to it. Um, but before we maybe get into that, we've got the uh, call on the line. It's Jonathan from Tampa. Hi, Jonathan. Welcome hey. to the show again. Hey, Jonathan. Hey, ha- hey. How are y'all doing? Um, Very you great. Know, you know, uh, I, I appreciate the effort put in today's show, but uh, I'm just going to be. Bluntly honest, it is not against y'all who your intentions about bringing this material to light and discussing this is is totally honorable, and um, your your hopes and dreams and uh, what you would like to see in the world are are aligned with mine, which I believe are healthy. But you know, to me, you know, whenever I see articles about this or books come out, I just yawn, and um, it's not because I don't want to hear it. Is that it's that I know it, and um, and what 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 I'm more 
worried about, like in the larger context of our receiving information and discussing it. And, you know, it's all about, um, for me right now, when I look at the landscape, it's just what amazes me is just that it's it's almost as though, like, your lips move, but, but you're not saying anything. And what I mean by that, not you, but all of us, and that, you know, if the goal is to move our fellows and our, you know, our the people that we inhabit this, this society toward some action that would actually make a difference toward bringing about a world that is actually more just, um, more sane as far as uh, addressing problems and making making real progress toward alleviating problems, um, you know, it's like we're not making any difference at all. And then I look at the people that I've been looking at for information years, Noam Chomsky, Democracy Now!, and then I look at the failures in the last few years. I go back to Libya, and I've, I've been doing a lot of work, and I haven't had much time to read and and so forth in the last years, but I've just been amazed at the role that, for example, Democracy Now! played in fomenting lies that led to the NATO bombing of uh, Libya and how all of these decades that, you know, Gaddafi wasn't a pure human being, but he was a pan-Africanist for decades, a pan-Africanist standing up to U.S. imperialism, and how somebody like Amy Goodman and the progressives that, that write articles for these magazines can just roll with it and not just say, hey, you know, this emperor has no clothes. You know, shame on you for actively supporting the, the misinformation campaign that led to the bombing of uh, of uh, Libya. I mean, how dare you? She should, mm. They shouldn't have any – if we were making – in other words, if we were actually making progress, this fakery on the part of these so-called liberal progressive types that claim to care, you know, for them to blatantly – you know, put out disinformation that led to like probably like tens of thousands of like people being murdered mm-hmm. on the heels of the United States imperialist bombing, NATO bombing of this country. I mean, shame on them. They, they would have no currency at all. And and Noam Chomsky going on her show. I mean, and and Noam Chomsky kind of. When he does analysis sometimes, like uh, about Syria, he'll describe it as a basket case. Oh, it is. He's describing almost as though that the United States isn't like leading the way, the pack of jackals. And he'll 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 describe it in a way that it's just these these just it's just the barbarity of forces was inside Syria, and and doesn't even bring uh, the United States and its a. Uh, media corporate apparatus of disinformation into the the scene, that's dereliction of intellectual duty. And he goes on Amy Goodman, and they pat him on the back, and they they tell old stories about when Amy's dad went to summer camp with Chomsky's dad, and it just seems like, oh, what Mm -hmm. a great saintly, what a great saintly figure this Chomsky is. And I'm not saying he's evil, but let's let's not forget that Amy Goodman and Noam Chomsky and Glenn Greenwald right now, they're all multi, multi-millionaires. <laughs> so, you know, is it any of Noam Chomsky's not leading the way for some kind of real, like, citizens co-op, you know, with his money? 
You see what I'm saying? It just it all it really is. Yeah. yeah, these guys are suckling at the teeth of the beast, basically. You know what I'm saying? And, and it's like that. We, we that mean But you know what? Your money, your money, what you do with your money, and how much money you make. Yes, it has every. It has every bearing on what all of us say in the context at which we say it. So, anyway, I just had those thoughts to share today, and I look forward to listening to the rest of y'all's show. All right? Jonathan, I have a, a quick uh, comment um, oh, go about ahead. something you, you said just a little earlier. Um, and uh, I just want to put this out there to you. So um, I think it's possible, let's say, that, or, or even probable that you in particular uh, are maybe within the top – say, five or three or one percentile of people who are aware and who, uh, and who have a conscience and who are um, able to kind of assess a lot of what's been going on and, um, and be uh, and articulate a point of view based on that. I also think it's possible that there are still a great many people who have, have probably – and probably never will reach uh, that level of awareness that you've achieved. But but I I wouldn't I wouldn't say that um, that repeating this you know this type of uh, information uh, is you know whistling in the wind or pissing in the wind. I wouldn't say that. Uh, I would say that our voices connected to other voices, connected to the actions of Putin in, in Syria, all kind of um, contribute to a greater message. And uh, it's quite possible that we're going to see a real significant uh, change of awareness as a result. Okay, and, and, and let me just interject something, Harrison, that uh, it was really heartening yesterday when I, when I heard y'all's interchange with, uh, I think Lee was his name, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, because the week before he'd come on and very nice guy and he said some things and you guys really didn't have a lot of time left in the show that you'd maybe challenge him on some of his assumptions and so forth. But you were so polite the week before. And then when he called up yesterday and you guys were just totally polite, listening to him and you said, well, look, I want you to think about it. We'll look at it this way, you know, and like mm-hmm. blah, 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 you know, right, right leading up to uh, Assad has to go. You know, here's how the things kind of played out on the ground that they that the mainstream didn't tell you, and he just listened very politely, and he generally ha- he genuinely has some curiosity about the world. He's like, wow, you know, I'd never heard that. And I'm like, wow, you know, that's that's an instance of uh, somebody being able to make a difference. You weren't trying to tell him just take our word for what happened. You're just saying, like, look, for, from our point of view and how we interpreted this is there's this, there's this. And he's like, wow, you know that, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to consider like looking at this differently, you know, thanks for giving me that information. And that's the, that's a very rare, that's like a percentage of our population who would even be like in the face of your, your deeply held assumptions for quite a while that you'd be willing to take on a different perspective because you have that open-mindedness and um, respect for your own self that maybe you aren't looking at things so clearly and, and and because you have a curiosity and a courage to go outside of what you've accepted as being the assumptions that undergird the reality, you're ready to move forward. And I so I agree with you that this this 
it all does make a difference. But, you know, the thing that frustrates me is um, I would like to see there be cooperatives developed among people that, that want to be com- con- come configured as, as producers and not mere consumers. And it looks as though we have the apparatus via the Internet in front of us to really just, like, totally change the game of about corporate power and how information and products and so forth are um, interchanged within our society. But we're, it's as though we're frozen, and I'm not just talking about everybody else, myself, my own habits. Um, it's as though we're frozen, and we're, we're afraid to take that next step and reclaim our own humanity and our own intelligence. And then I, I just think I point to Goodman and Chomsky, not to hate on them, but this is an example of like of people that are concerned and want to consider themselves intelligent on the left progressive spectrum, looking and making kind of deities out of people. And then we we kind of rest on our laurels and we take their word for what's happening in the world. And then people would would be down with they'll they'll imbibe the the dominant dominant means as far as Assad goes as far as Gaddafi and Libya go. And that's a, la- a laziness that I think is rooted also in fear and a paralysis on all of our parts that we've been conditioned into kind of accepting. And I'd I just like to see us move past that. That's, that's the long and the short of my frustration. And it points to me as well as anybody else, because I totally reject this idea that people are sheeple. And I believe that most people come to their beliefs um, probably as much out of fear as ignorance and a combination thereof because people don't see how them coming out and saying the emperor has no clothes could make any difference. And as a matter of fact, they see it as they could lose any, everything from doing so. So anyway, thank you for letting me share my, my uh, views and look forward to listening to the rest of the show. Okay. All right. Thanks, John. Jonathan. Welcome. All right, take care. Thanks. Bye, Joseph. Yeah. I, uh, I think the, uh, the core of the problem here is that um, it kind of gets back to the the thing that's often quoted about the, the big lie, uh, as, as as ascribed to uh, who the Googles. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the bigger the lie you tell, the more easily you'll be able to pass it off on on the population because in their the only person in their simple kind of mind would never imagine that <clears throat> there would be such devious duplicity and people would like as we were describing before that there would be someone who would exist uh, who who would do such horrible things to other human beings because the average human being feels an empathy with their fellow human beings and they assume that everybody else feels the same and they have good reason to think that because they see cooperation and the community spirit in the place they live and they, seem, they get the impression that everybody's the same of course now again people have experience of a bad seed in the community. And this is what we started the show with, saying that in those ca- cases, there's historical, kind of or anthropological uh, studies done showing that when that happened in, in, in local, uh, kind of primitive communities, even uh, they, those people would be rejected and booted out of the community. So there is an awareness now and again, or at least in maybe, you know, uh, in the collective awareness of, of humanity that uh, it's possible for there to be a bad seed, a fundamentally evil human being, someone who isn't like the rest of us. But uh, being, taking that and, and projecting it up onto someone who um, who appears to be such a lover of all good and noble things, uh, and then to say that 
that person is really behind the mask is diametrically the, uh, is pretty much exactly the opposite of what they claim to be. Contrast uh, such massive duplicity in, a, in an, a human being is not within the the, the the scope of of the average person's ability to to understand because they have no reference for it. Right. So that's why people and uh, Jonathan talked there about Chomsky and Goodman and stuff. And these two people uh, are long-term supposed upholders of all kind of noble ideals and uh, humanitarian truth-telling and humanitarianism. But what you have to understand is that there is a limit for most people uh, to where they can go in terms of accepting that someone who appears uh, and everything they say and all their words uh, that they appear to be a very good person could be a very, very evil person behind it. That And that is very strange, you know. Uh, just, I mean, you look, you know, can you, what, what you see is what you get is usually what people uh, have to understand. That's how they understand the world, you know. Sure. They they look something and it looks like it is, and most things are like they are, like they are, right? I mean, it's it's apparent that's how you. It's if how it looks you good to eat. If it looks tasty, it probably is. Right. Well, that's even an example though, because some things are not like that, you know. But that's too abstract for people, you know. I mean, it's a great example, you know. Um, you know, my uh, I think it was my grandfather actually told me once that uh, uh, he the first time for some reason he was very young for, he tasted a tomato for the first time, mm-hmm. and this was and there weren't many tomatoes around in Ireland at the time or something. Uh, I don't know, it was too wet and rainy or something to grow them. I don't know, but he he was generally and it was it was at a, at a market or something. He got a tomato and he was just picked it up and he was just expecting to have this wonderful sweet just. <laughs> Ah, uh, delicious taste, and he just was horrified, you know, at what he tasted. So, you know, that's kind of, <clears throat> you know, so there's the phrase, you know, you can't uh, can't judge, judge a book by its cover, right? I mean, there's all this stuff, you know. I mean, even in popular parlance, in, 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 in the, 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 the normal discourse uh, amongst ordinary people, you can't judge a book by its cover. But you cannot, people cannot ascribe that to uh, to people in positions of power. And that's what we were saying just before Jonathan called is that people have a real innate, visceral, genetic, whatever you want to call it, need to believe in an authority. Why does God exist? Why does the idea of a God exist? And a good being that's in authority and takes care of the big things, the big important problems in life and deals with running the universe, running the world, down to popes and presidents and kings and queens. They take care of the important decisions. But even beyond that, it's just having an authority. It, it's almost like it goes back to some kind of child, childhood thing, you know? Well, because we are children, because we are born as vulnerable infants and, there are, and, we're, and we're born of parents who are adults, there's this unavoidable, implicit in-existence uh, aspect of that existence, which is that for our formative years when most of our kind of... Uh, basic understandings of the world are formed, they're formed in the context of us being vulnerable and there being someone to take care of us. People think they grow up, but most of them don't. Most of them are stuck in in childhood. So it's almost as if that's still in most adult human beings, this desire or need for 
someone bigger, stronger, more powerful than us to take care of us. It's something extremely abstract, I know, but it seems to be there in the psychology of most human beings. And I think it's why, it seems to be that it's why people have this... Uh, misplaced faith, I think. Yeah, and a, but an implicit desire and need, almost unshakable need to believe in an authority. And regardless of what that authority does, I mean, authority would have to be exposed in some extremely explicit, really hard evidence way. You know, people themselves would have to see and feel and touch the evil of the person they thought was good before they would ever believe that that, that authority or that formerly good ruler was evil. You know, there, and it's theirs as well, because notice that they don't have a problem believing that other evil rulers exist, uh-huh. but not ours. Uh-huh. And that is a it's, and this is why it's re- when you really dig into this stuff, you just go, we're screwed. Yeah. Unless people can start to see this stuff and understand themselves and understand their own motivations in, in this way, their unconscious drives, then they're screwed. Because they have this need for an authority and it seems that in this world there are these kind of beings called psychopaths who insinuate themselves into positions of, party, of, of power and do exactly what we've been describing, which is they mimic the noble good authority and do evil deeds to the people over whom they have authority. And people are programmed at a very fundamental level in their brains, in their emotions, to want to believe that no matter what that authority does, it's all good. And and here, Noam Chomsky, biggest brain in America and all that kind of stuff. Sorry, Noam, but you've got some serious psychological issues there. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's stuff you don't know, Noam, for all your... For all your wonderful uh, philosophizing, I think there's one other aspect to it. And but when you added that last bit there, Joe, about um, how it's really easy for people to believe that some foreign leader over there is totally evil, but not their own leader, that kind of made me go back and re-question what I was thinking. Because I think one of the aspects of this kind of selective blindness has to just do with um, psychological projection. So when we're talking about like food or something like that, like you, you've got the appearance of the thing and or a book, you've got the appearance of the thing, and the appearance can be deceiving, but there's always the proof that will that will give you the uh, the experience you need in order to find that out. So if you if, if an apple looks really good and you bite it and it's wax, then you've in in a sense tasted the essence, the inside of that apple, and you've realized you've proven to yourself that that apple wasn't good on the inside. Now the thing about just being a human is that we only ever have access to our own inside, to our own psychology. And so we never have like direct access to exactly what another person is thinking or feels or how they think or how they feel. So there's this, this um, it's, it's almost like this inbuilt inability to be able to, um, to identify or imagine the different possibilities for what other people are like on the inside. We, so we automatically project our own, the way we think and feel mm-hmm. onto others. So you'll find this, for example, with people who, a lot of people who encounter, encounter the idea of psychopathy for the first time will say, oh, you know, people just can't be like that. And I think that's because if you put them in, in a situation, it would be like saying, okay, so you've got a family, you're in a family, you've got a father and mother and a few siblings maybe, maybe. but you really don't like one of your siblings and they just made you really angry. They've done something, you know, you, maybe they, they uh, ate the last of the dessert yesterday and uh, so you didn't get any, any uh, lemon meringue pie. And so 
what you do, you say, okay, well, you know, this, this just really pisses me off, so I'm going to do something. I'm going to get back at this person. So I'm going to go on the Internet. I'm going to download some very questionable materials. I'm going to put them on that, that computer. And then, you know, I'm going to – actually, I'm going to buy a cell phone, and I'm going to pretend to be a, like a three-year-old – or no, like a, a six-year-old boy or something, or, you know, a 12-year-old boy. And uh, maybe this is, you know, well, I'm getting into a different area. Maybe it's an uncle that you're mad at. And so – you just you you play this you play along and then you you create this whole narrative and you establish the evidence trail and then you call the cops and you say oh I think my uncle's a pedophile mm-hmm. or or you know you can say oh I think my my brother killed the cat or something when you did it mm-hmm. and then you set them up and they get in a lot of trouble or your uncle goes to jail and you go oh great you know I solved that one isn't that great no one can imagine themselves doing that mm-hmm. at least I mm-hmm. very much doubt that any of our listeners right. can imagine themselves in a situation like that and going through that thought process and then actually carrying through, carrying it through and actually doing it and then being happy and all glad and be like, pat yourself on the back when you've done it. Oh, good job. You know, I really, really pulled that one off. We just can't do that. And then it's, it's probably even very foreign to even imagine a scenario like that. Mm-hmm. Right. Then once you actually figure it out and see that these, that there are people like this that actually exist, it's a shock at first. Mm-hmm. And, but then once you, once you accept that, then it's it's actually pretty easy to be able to to see this and to, to again, like in my experience, explain. to explain, let's say, a politician. And now for me, I mean, you know, it's it's just very easy. I can look at my leader, you know, as a Canadian, like Stephen Harper, and just be like totally ashamed and imagine the kind of things that go on behind closed doors. Mm. And but then there's that other aspect that you brought up about how, how difficult it is to see our own leaders like that, but mm. it's very easy to see another leader like that. So I'm wondering if I'm wondering what it is there. Maybe it's something to do with again going back to like that early childhood experience, that family, that community. You've got your close group of people, your of your your tribe that you're with, mm-hmm. that um, that you grow up with and you establish close ties with, and it would be very difficult to to imagine um, one of them having a a, a mm. mind like this. But it's very easy for someone you don't know who lives thousands of miles away on a yeah. different continent. It's, it's because there is that, that uh, like unconscious awareness that these kinds of people exist. And so, you know, that person over there, you hear stories about them and you hear these stories and it just sounds like maybe they're an animal or something. Maybe they're not really human. And so, okay, it's very easy if I think of some Arab or some African or Asian that's, that, that does these sorts of things and oh that's really bad and really it's it's just explained because maybe they're Muslim or whatever mm-hmm. and that's the the pat explanation so in a sense it's very easy to ascribe that kind of mentality on a person mm-hmm. when in certain other scenarios it's very difficult yeah well the reason they don't do it to their own like you said in terms of a community I mean like a community or in a country the why why people like in in a certain country will not uh, ascribe evil intentions to their authorities is because it's fundamentally threatening to them. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, people don't uh, vote for a president or, po- or politicians um, and, and look up to them and, uh, you know, appeal to them, etc. That doesn't exist for no reason. That exists because that structure exists uh, and it's supported by the ordinary people in any country and it's supported by the ordinary people of the world because they want it for the reasons we said before people have an innate and very visceral genetic almost need for an authority in their lives mm-hmm. so when you have selected your chosen authority it's very scary for you to even contemplate the idea 
of that authority appearing to be a threat to you. Mm-hmm. They're meant to be there to protect you. Right. They're like it's, it's like a child trying to conceive that his parents uh, are out to get him. What's he going to do? Where's he going to go? He doesn't have any more parents. Can't leave the house. I'm, I mean, this house. This is why this is the house, the i.e. country that I live in, and I rely on for my security and my my well-being and my daily bread, and and it's all kept in place by my authority. Uh, you're threatening my whole existence if you even suggest that the authority is, is out uh, has, has even has does not have good intentions. Because if they're bad people, that means they could be bad to me. I don't want to contemplate that. The point here is that every, given that that is the seems to be the nature of ordinary humanity, you can see how easily it can be exploited, mm. and you can see how it's a massive abuse of that effectively that vulnerability it's the same as parents abusing the vulnerability of their own children and that's all I have to say about the war in Vietnam <laughs> you were going to say something well you know I was uh, first of all I, I completely agree and, and probably um, you know well, this kind of dynamic exists in every country to some degree or another uh, but one of the successes of, uh, I think, the you know the behavior of, of the U.S. in the past few years, especially um, after 9/11, uh, but even far beyond, is this uh, is this image it's created of itself: founding fathers, uh, writers of the Constitution, uh, democratic uh, you know Congress, a legislative branch, executive branch, um, and, uh, and 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 and. All of these types of uh, images, uh, you know, pledging allegiance, um, uh, you know, they're not bad in and of themselves, but they've just created this facade of, um, you know, uh, something that you can believe in, something that you can trust, something that even if it's flawed, is uh, is still the best there is, by golly. And um, and I I agree. I mean, it you know. It reminds me of a conversation I had with a friend a few years after 9/11, and you know, it was a, a time for me when I was really discovering the facts of the matter and, and just how easily the, the narrative fell apart. Um, and I was talking to him, and uh, and kind of uh, outlining things as I understood them at the time, and um, and he, of course, he he couldn't go there, uh, he couldn't entertain the idea. That uh, that there were elements of the U.S. government, the military, that that were aware of and and complicit in uh, you know, the events of that day, and uh, and it's precisely what I said to him. I said, you know, I think one of the reasons why you can't is because it's far scarier for you to believe in the idea that it that it is us uh, than than some guys over mm-hmm. in Afghanistan or whatever. And um, so this whole point that that's been discussed just now was was brought home for me in that conversation with him. It, it was then that I I kind of realized, you know, this this scares the hell out of people, and with good reason. Mm-hmm. They have to reevaluate and reassess everything they think they know about how things work, um, and uh, and that can probably leave a number of people paralyzed if they don't have a uh, some kind of um, 
some kind of support, a psychological and emotional support uh, or structure in their thinking, in their minds, and and uh, and other people that they can discuss this with, uh, that would prevent them from falling apart. Um, and so, you know, that's what we're faced with. But Harrison, you said something a little earlier uh, that suggested to me that um, you know there there may be a time when there is a visceral experience of of psychopathy at a at a larger level that you know if they can't taste it themselves um they're not going to know it they're not going to be able to really um have any kind of uh knowledge of it um and it seems to me that yeah there is a certain percentage of people who are who are uh, blacks for instance in the US or anyone who's been abused by cops who take one segment mm-hmm. of the population uh, who who understand this on a visceral level, but uh, when things really get bad in the U.S. and in other places uh, in the West, uh, it's then I think that they're that they're that they're going to have that taste. Yeah. And um, mm-hmm. and then hopefully some of them will have um, the resources, or uh, they'll be able to see someplace uh, an explanation, i.e. The reason why these things are happening, the reason why you're tasting this now, is because that person that's in office indeed has no conscience in the way that you think they do. Yeah, and it, when it's on that level, it becomes so obvious that uh, the way I see it, it's kind of like, um, well, it's like this lesson is just provided for you. In everyday life, we've got the opportunity every day, no matter where you live, to learn about this sort of thing and to see examples of it. And it just seems that so many people pass up those opportunities and don't learn the lesson. And even using the example of police brutality, you might, for, for a while, you might get people who just hate cops and they think it's just cops. And that's just the explanation. They never really think it through all the way. It's just, uh, or it might be, it's, it, it's kind of the equivalent of just, or it's similar to racism in the sense that it's, it's just Muslims or it's just blacks where it's just this very simplistic explanation for why it's this bad thing. And, but then when it gets to the point when it becomes so obvious and so um, macrosocial on such a wide scale, it becomes so obvious that it, it, in a sense it has to get so much worse and so much more um, like inflated and almost become a caricature of itself on the world scale that finally things get so bad that people start getting the lesson. And, and saying, okay, well, you know, now I see it. And at that point, they really do see it because it's not impossible to, to get some understanding of psychopathy. Mm-hmm. It's not like we're, we're intrinsically incapable right. of even contemplating it. It's no. Like, no, it is possible. You need a lot of proof. Yeah, you need a lot of proof. You need a lot Shocking. of experience with it right. and to be able to see it. But then when that, when that actually comes, then finally, you know, it's like, oh, you know, the light goes on. And, right. and it's not like there aren't people uh, in society who, who could fulfill the role, role of a good leader as well. If society was to reorganize itself, you know, if society broke down, you would have communities kind of getting together and you'd have a, a natural kind of hierarchy there where people who were more responsible or felt more responsible or uh, felt the, the, the need to take care of other people would, would, would do that, you know, and you could have a, an emergence of a, a better organized and better structured society under under those proper conditions. But then, but going back, I was thinking of a good uh, analogy for psychopaths and it's... Um, Going back to the analogy of um, 
of a family. You know, the population of this planet are like the children in a family. And the psychopaths are like abusive parents. Um, you take a family you know whether well, one or other or both of the parents are abusive. Uh, very often that's because they themselves have been traumatized and have psychological problems, etc. And it's obvious to people around that that person is a bad parent. Of course, the parent himself or herself justifies in the moment uh, their, their abuse of, of the children, not taking care of the children um, uh, in all sorts of ways. They're, they're doing it to fulfill or, or get their own needs met and they're maybe psychologically damaged, etc. Uh, so in, in a certain sense, you can excuse that, but certainly you take a, a parent, parents like that, they're not, you're not going to, anybody in society is going to elevate them to this position of responsibility mm-hmm. because it's evident to everybody that they are bad parents. You don't trust them to look after your kids, for example, and you don't, uh, you don't lend them any money, you know, <clears throat> because everybody knows it's evident. The analogy for psychopaths would be, would be that you, you have the same complete you know, self-interest and disregard for the welfare of the children among psychopaths, but you don't have the actual uh, evidence of them being bad people. In fact, you have, they, have, they have the ability to craft an appearance of the ideal parent, and they can pitch themselves as the ideal parent. So what you actually have in psychopaths is the trauma, let's say, that uh, a person the psychological trauma that a person would be subjected to through their own kind of maltreatment, psychic kind of uh, psychological scarring, uh, emotional troubles, all that kind of stuff. You have that uh, in terms of brain function uh, within uh, a psychopath, but none of the actual trauma that manifests in bad behavior and you know, that they're evidently not a good person. And, and it's, it's very difficult to even conceive of something like that. You'd have someone who is psychologically disturbed, effectively, psychologically traumatized, that they are not able to be a responsible adult. But they can talk a mile a minute how responsibly, responsible they are, and they can present themselves very well, and they can claim all the things they need to claim to be in positions, to get into positions of power over other people. So it's completely unnatural as far as ordinary humans go, as far as the majority of, of human beings in this planet, psychopaths are obviously completely unnatural. They, they don't even fit into the category of uh, the known uh, psychological issues and traumas that an average person can and is very often subjected to that makes them, you know, deviant people or disturbed people because they don't exhibit it right. except in private or they have the ability, they have the, that all of those proclivities, but they have also the ability to cover it up completely. Yes. And I think one of the things that's helpful for us to do uh, when we're watching a, a Bill Clinton uh, give, give a, give a $400,000 speech uh, before a university or, or organization, or we, or we watch a uh, Barack Obama, uh, you know, teeth uh, beaming, uh, you know, big smile, uh, big strut, um, articulately uh, making his point about this or that policy uh, or any one of these politicians, we have, to, we have to be able to take a moment and look at them, acknowledge their, uh, what they're projecting, uh, their charisma, their intelligence, uh, their articulateness. And, and we also have to remember and keep in mind that, that this very same being 
is responsible for pushing the effing button on people, mm-hmm. lots of people, uh, that that they rehearse the lines that they're going to say after they've done it, that they're looking forward to the accolades and the accrual of power and the confidence of the uh, of of the of the secret government or the the head honchos who pull the strings. I mean, that's what they exist for, and um, you know, otherwise. What are we stuck with? We're stuck with cognitive dissonance about these individuals. Mm-hmm. We are um, trapped in the illusion uh, of, you know, we want to like them. We want to believe that they're well-intentioned. Uh, we want to think and, 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 and believe that um, they genuinely want good things mm. for the people that they're running an office to serve. Mm. Uh, I mean, that's why they're politicians, right? Um, so, yeah, I think um, unless unless we know the facts about their the results of their actions mm. um, and, and keep it fir- firmly in mind every time we see one of these individuals, well, we, yeah, we just kind of can fall very easily into the trap of most people which is to be maybe a little bit cynical about them, um, but ultimately they just underestimate uh, this this uh, underneath that you're describing, mm-hmm. Joe. Yeah. It's, um, I suppose another way to describe it is, again, using the analogy of adult to child, i.e. people in positions of power to the population. The only population is um, these people in positions of power, like an adult to a child, looks at the child and sees vulnerability, sees weakness. And at that point, the recognition or the awareness of that vulnerability, there's two possible responses, two primary responses. One is a feeling of uh, kind of responsibility or uh, kind of compassion or almost like a, a, a mothering even if you're a man, mothering instinct, uh, to look at someone who's vulnerable and uh, to, to want to protect. Uh, and the other response is to see that vulnerability and say, I can exploit it. Right. There's something there for me to exploit. I have power over, therefore I can get something from having that power over that person. And those two obviously extremely different fundamentally different responses to just the awareness of the vulnerability in in people. And this is why also, but this is how these politicians uh, justify their own positions of power, because in a certain sense they're right to the point where they say, obviously we are superior to the ordinary people on this planet, the people over whom we govern, because we govern over them. How would I be in this position if I were not better, if I am not better than those other people. I'm obviously superior in many ways to the point where they look up to me, where I've been able to convince them that I am better. And I have power over them. Power in itself says I am better than uh, people who do not have power. Otherwise, why would I have power? Even if I manipulated uh, my way into getting that power, the very fact that I can manipulate those people Mm -hmm. means that I am smarter than them. Mm -hmm. No one here is going to would say that they are as smart as, for example, 
well, maybe somebody would. <laughs> You're smart as uh, someone like Vladimir Putin, a very smart and intelligent man. Obviously, he, he thinks a lot about what he does. He's got a lot of stuff to think about and a lot of strategizing and plans to make. But um, he obviously has the same awareness, I would say, that he you know, is, uh, has, has abilities that other people do not that have elevated him to a position where he is responsible for all these other people. But it seems so far anyway that he does not take the same attitude towards the people over, over whom he governs uh, as, pe- as, as other leaders in the West, you know. Um, well, he takes a, a fatherly and a motherly role right. and responsibility where he says, I have all of these people, millions of people, mm-hmm. that I am responsible for. Mm-hmm. And what am I going to do about that? How am I going to deal with that responsibility? Right. And it's it's kind of like a weight yeah. on your shoulders. You can imagine if you suddenly were became aware, became aware of the fact that you are in a position where the decisions that you make in your own head can affect the lives for better or worse of millions of people. There's not many people who would want that responsibility, right? If anybody listening to this or you guys here, think about that. <laughs> think about that where you decisions that you make in your own head could end up, uh, you know, potentially causing the death of, of millions of people. Uh, most people would say no thanks. Mm-hmm. And that is, I think people who agree with that realize that that is the reason why we have a hierarchy on this planet, mm-hmm. because of that response in, in so many people. But I don't want response. I don't feel capable of making the decision that could affect the lives of many people because it bears on my conscience or whatever. It, it, it would be too much and I would feel very bad. That's why you have in any from primitive societies up to the global societies we have today, you have a natural hierarchy that evolves where people are either self-select or selected by people in the community to say, listen, you seem to have more of an ability, uh, inclination, a tendency to, to bear this weight on your shoulders, so please bear it for us. But on the, there's that natural aspect to it, but there's also the unnatural aspect where you have a whole bunch of people who understand that they could not bear that responsibility. They wouldn't have that, they couldn't bear that weight mm-hmm. or make those decisions. So that, has, that leaves open this kind of power vacuum Right. Where, well, who's going to step into that position? Mm-hmm. It just so happens to be that there are people who can make those so- sorts of decisions mm-hmm. without any sense of responsibility right. or care for the consequences. Right. So right. they're just like, oh, you know, that sounds like a great job mm-hmm. because no one else wants it, and that gives me all the power. Mm-hmm. And those people can appear to other people as being the right man or woman mm-hmm. for the job. Hey, you don't seem to have a problem just coming straight out with the answer to this weighty problem that we're all being mm-hmm. that we've all been pouring and, and troubling ourselves over for weeks. And you just come in and said, "Hey, here's what you do. Let's do this, this, and this. You're, you're the guy for the job. Go for it. Hired, hired. Love it. You know. And that's a natural. There are people. Amongst, obviously, not everybody's born equal. That doesn't mean anybody's lesser or better or, or, or lesser than others. But other people, people, there are people on the planet amongst human society who have. Uh, abilities and natural proclivities for for certain things that make them uh, a good fit for that kind of a, of a position. Um, but 
as Harrison saying, it has to go along with a sense of responsibility, a sense of, you know, mm-hmm. effectively just a, a compassion yeah. for other, other human beings. And if you remove the compassion but keep the sense of, I can do it, well, then you've got serious problems. You've got war for no good reason other than self-enrichment, self-empowerment, no consideration whatsoever for, for the plight of the suffering of other people. Um, and if you do, if you, if you express any kind of uh, empathy with other people, uh, you know, short of your own, you know, I feel your pain, uh, you might be, you might even be uh, vilified or or kind of considered weak. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's this whole kind of hyper uh, patriarchal, hyper masculine culture in the West that um, that applauds the kind of uh, you know strong, silent type. Um, and uh, you know it, this uh, kind of feeds into the militarism of the U.S. Uh, you know, just watching, and I, I really kind of purposefully stay away from this, but uh, I do occasionally hear a little bit about the kind of Republican uh, presidential debates, mm. and and they're all clamoring for who can sound the most uh, warlike. Uh, it, it's incredible, mm-hmm. and um, you know, it's like who's the most psychopathic among us? No, it's me. No, it's me. No, it's me. My mm. guns are bigger than your guns. Mm. Exactly. But but there are very few, if any, that have a, a track record for uh, for showing um, real leadership yeah. and taking real responsibility uh, for for people mm. in, in any kind of public uh, position. You know, America is like a doomsday cult. The whole country, Jeff. Yeah, yeah, it is because those doomsday cults are kind of defined. Most of them defined or at least typified by. Uh, a few leaders who are kind of a bit, uh, very kind of, they're zealots for some cause or other. And the way they control the people below them, the members of the congregation or whatever the, uh, you know, members of the cult are, are, are usually kept in, in place and in, 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 you know, enthralled to the leaders through fear. You know, so once you establish a fear-based, perception, well then you have control over those people because it hypes up the natural tendency for people that we've been discussing, of people to want to look to an authority and to establish an authority in the society to protect them. Usually everything should be fine in a normal society. There's not a threat a lot that's only once in a while and most times it's just about organizing society and taking care of administrative kind of stuff. But implicitly that's what they're there for as well, to protect the population. So if you can establish a pervasive ongoing threat, keep drumming it into people's heads, well, then you secure your position of power as an authority. Um, and you can go, you can justify war uh, by touting that threat, heading off, killing lots of people, uh, even attacking your sec- yourself if necessary, and, um, and perpetuating the whole system. So the system is perpetuated on the basis of a threat to the population uh, who you must protect from that threat. Uh, and so it probably became pretty clear once you make a, once these powers or psychopaths in power make a move in that, in that direction, they got to stick with it. You know, it's, it's, 
they're in it for the long haul, basically, because once you've established a threat, you realize we now are have defined ourselves um, in this position of power on the basis of a threat to the population. Right. If we ever remove that threat, mm, it could be we could be open to being kind of removed or people could get a bit disgruntled because then all of our other uh, failings might might appear. And at least in, in the global political system we have, you have the opportunity to move people, authorities out of power to replace them with others. That's the democratic process type thing. Of course, in the US, it's kind of meet the new boss, same as the old boss type of thing. They've covered that basis as well. That, that base as well. But... Um, well, you know, you know what that kind of reminds me of a little bit, and maybe this is a little tangential, but uh, so, uh, you know, if you ever speak to a, an Israeli in the U.S. or a Zionist, right. um, and, uh, you know, they have this perception of, of, you know, there's a campaign for a new president in the U.S. The only question that comes up is, are they strong for Israel? Mm. Are they good for Israel? Mm. Will they support blindly all the policies and, uh, you know, everything that Israel is doing, because that's, you're either with us or against us, it comes back to that again. And that becomes the, uh, the sole criteria for, um, for supporting a leader. Right. Uh, in the meantime, you have so many other layers of, of you know, does this person have a brain? Does this person have a uh, uh, any kind of experience lifting up uh, some aspect of their, you know, of their state's uh, economy or uh, its infrastructure or its culture, uh, or you know, have they made things run better? It, that never ever seems to even, and it's such a simple thing. It never plays into their calculus mm. of whether or not they support someone because there is this. You know, as you were saying, Joe, this perception of either, you know, uh, being in a position of, of danger and security mm-hmm. or not. Mm. Yeah. I mean, talking about the presidential election, uh, that's ongoing, kind of the process of it ongoing in the U.S. Now, I mean, that bears out what, what we've been saying, that this that America is based on uh, a perpetual threat. Before we get to Israel, America is based on this concept of a perpetual threat. If you listen to the presidential candidates, most of what they're asked about and what they talk about is some type of threat. Threat to the economy, threat from migrants, threat from terrorism, uh, you know, other major and minor threats. That's what they're pushing all the time, and that's what they're asked about. How are you on this threat? What are you going to do with this threat, this threat, this threat? I mean, it's so transparent that, that that is what is holding these people in place is the bombardment of the population with insecurity which always is going to make them clamor for authority to protect them from to make them more secure but the israel thing i mean i used to write a lot of stuff on israel and i used to be really up in arms with israel and i mean i got in trouble a few times because of uh, stuff i said about israel i got other people in trouble for stuff I said about Israel, stuff I wrote about, not said, but wrote about Israel. Uh, I got a girl, uh, a lecturer in England, in trouble because she reposted an article I wrote to a message board uh, at a a union, uh, uh, basically a a lecturer's, I think, lecturer's union, uh, and they were 
in the UK they've been quite there's I can't remember the name of the union but they've been quite proactive in the uh, uh, kind of um, boycott, divest, and sanctions movement against uh, Israel, where you where the British universities would stop inviting Israeli university lecturers and stuff to come until there was some change in Israeli policy towards Palestinians. And they have these discussions, discussions on message boards and stuff. And I she posted an article I wrote, and she got I don't know if she got fired, but she got seriously seriously sanctioned because it's a majorly strong Jewish kind of lobby in every aspect of. Western society, particularly in the UK, but also in France and different places. And they're watching all this stuff and they seriously go after people who, mm-hmm. who say a bad word about Israel, especially the ones that are supporting the sanctions, the, the BDS uh, movement. But I've kind of given up uh, on Israel and Palestine to a large extent because the, there's nothing to discuss there anymore. I, I, it's too it's tiring. I'm glad that a lot of people have come along and I think they're kind of newer and some people are still doggedly hammering away at it, but it's, once you've tried your best and you've looked at it, it's, it doesn't take a long time if you've just got a basic human, humanistic approach. The bottom line is very clear. The problem there is very clear. It's obviously, it is really the brutal Israeli treatment of Palestinians. That is the cause of the problem. And I'm amazed, and I wonder if there isn't some kind of a, if the people, particularly in the West and stuff, aren't held in some kind of tractor beam or something where it mushes their brain and stops them from seeing such an obvious injustice. I mean, you can't get anything more, more, like more simplistically obvious in terms of what the problem is here and what the solution is, you know? I mean, but of course, the, trend, uh, the, the issue is confused massively by all sorts of, you know, pro-Israel argumentation, etc. And as we were talking about, very much a focus on fear and a threat. Of course, that's a major part of Israeli defense is the threat that we, as the Jewish people, are under. And, of course, the, the idea that they might have obviously created the threat themselves by putting themselves in a threatening position from the get-go isn't mentioned very often because it's all also backed up with the religious card, which is don't say a word about the foundation of Israel because God said it was okay. You know, so we appeal to a highest authority. And here we have the, the appeal to authority as well. You know, not only do we have the fear-based propaganda, but we have the ultimate answer, which is God said it's okay yeah. So you shut your goddamn mouth, and who's the highest authority? God. He's bigger than your president. They got you coming and going. So um, I'm just, you know, waiting for the day, probably naively waiting for the day when everybody would go, hang on a minute. How come we didn't see this before? Uh, but apparently it's not going to happen, you know. That, and that's, I mean, there's so many things we can cite. We try to keep a positive angle on the show, you know, in terms of keeping people... Uh, kind of hopes up to a certain mm-hmm. extent, or that things can change and stuff. But um, especially with Putin in recent years. But um, I mean, I've already said once in the show that tonight that we're all screwed. And I mean, I uh, I could probably say a lot of things where that would be the conclusion. You know, I could make a strong case for us all being screwed. You know, and here when I say us all, I mean the population as a whole. Anybody who has any I, I, uh, hopes or dreams for all of humanity together. Mm-hmm. 
probably best to drop that one. You can have hope for yourself and for maybe smaller groups of people, like we mentioned Jonathan or Alan, you were saying Jonathan, with the top one, two, three, four percentile or something. But uh, humanity as a whole, it's, I mean, I would say it's, um, it's like having hope for children uh, who live under the control of abusive parents. Uh, I mean, you could say that, yeah, they might wake up to the fact that, you know, the parents are abusive and they should do something about it. But the bottom line is that they're children and they have the minds of children and the needs of children. And here I'm saying, I'm talking about this relatively, I'm not saying every person on this planet has the mind of a child. What I'm saying is, in terms of their their motivations and their basic kind of essence, it, it, it has the same, it has the same needs as a child, in terms of what we're just discussing, a need for authority in their lives. And as long as that authority is, is abusive to them, they're stuck, because where are they going to go? If they need authority, where are they going to go? How are they going to... Yeah. They're not going to want to get rid of the authority in their lives, because they need it. It's more important for them to keep the authority than... Uh, resolve the abuses that are being committed against them. Well, it's like Stockholm Syndrome, right. only uh, planetary. Uh, and, and kind of interesting to think about it in such a, uh, a kind of a macro way. But, uh, you know, I guess, I guess that's exactly what authoritarianism uh, induces uh, in people. Um, you know, they're, they're used to being abused in a certain sense. They've become inured to it. Uh, they're uh, lied to and uh, and hypnotized in such a way that um, yeah, most people just um, aren't aware uh, how it exists on that level. Um, so yeah, I mean it's uh, I know I know what you're saying about Israel. Uh, I've certainly had that a kind of exasperated uh, experience of the whole situation myself uh there are some days you know you you read sot and you see another news item regarding the you know, uh something else uh, bb has said or uh some new bit of violence at the at the uh at the temple mount or, or something and it's like i just can't read another word of it mm. um i mean i do but uh it it it's beyond sickening it's like it's like having you know vomit up to the top of your uh your gullet and um and then and just having to swallow it down again yeah i mean obviously talking about Israel Palestine that's a whole other show but yeah um the media plays a major part in the western media in terms of keeping people at dazed and confused about that simple uh, solution or obvious cause or, uh, and problem. Um, I just noticed something the other day on the BBC, which is a you know a paragon of, of Israeli first and everything support and, and, and backing of the Israeli state. I mean, just the way that they do it. You know, they were talking about the recent uh, uh, uptick in, in violence uh, in Israel and Palestine. And their, their short report was just on those killings, and they had a paragraph basically saying, over the past uh, 14 days or two or two weeks or whatever, 
Um, uh, uh, I think eight eight Israelis, maybe twelve, ten, eight or ten or twelve Israelis have been killed by knife knife attacks and whatever else. Many knife attacks from Palestinians. Palestinian uh, attacked Israelis with knives, killing them. One of them was a boy. Blah blah blah. You know, the paragraph that explained all that, and below that it said uh, fifty Palestinians have also been killed during the same time period. You know, right. and just okay, they said it. But they didn't go into anywhere near as much detail about who killed, didn't say who killed the Palestinians, they were just killed. But the focus was that the Palestinians attacking the Israelis. And that's a, that's a report. And I mean, even by the BBC standards of impartiality, we just have to report the facts, man. You know, well, sure, okay, if you want to go with that, which is bullshit, because what's that quote from that guy uh, in times of crisis? Uh, in times of universal deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. Yeah, that one. The other one about being impartial, effectively, in times of crisis, where where, where you're impartial, it's basically um, big joke. Would oh yeah. No, I think there's another one about impartiality, yeah. where you would yeah. basically say, I have no involvement in this. When there's a clear kind of right and wrong, and you say, well, I can't take part in it, you're basically part of the problem. Yeah, you're part of the aggressor. You know, if there's an aggressor and a victim, you say, I don't want to make a judgment on that. Um, that but, is, that's pretty much the way the BBC take the approach that the BBC takes mm-hmm. that's impartiality, they can't take sides but okay, even going with that obviously wrong uh, approach they, ne- they never even include uh, what they could, the context yeah. in the bottom, the truthful context which is that for, for the past 60 years Israel has uh, occupied an increasingly stolen Palestinian land, even that little bit of information which is totally objective would allow people reading it Say well, oh, maybe I can understand why Palestinians will be pissed off enough to go and kill or, or attack Israelis with, with with knives. But they remove that, you know. Mm-hmm. It's that subtle kind of propaganda. It's not that they say anything overtly for Israel, but they promote the Israeli angle. They'll, they always include for their impartiality the Palestinian bit, but they will never provide a context. Never tell people about the context. And most people probably, a lot of people don't know the context of Israel policy. Mm-hmm. So you keep that under wraps and. Your propaganda flights. Well, when we're nearing the end of the show, I want to just ask a somewhat loaded question, no pun intended. Um, so we've been talking about war. Is there any such thing as a just war? Yes. Let's talk a bit about just wars. Just wars can only happen at a time or at a period in time in history when unjust wars mm-hmm. have dominated and shaped and controlled the world for so long. Uh, in that context, someone having created a society that is has been effectively ruined by a series of unjust wars, then there is uh, a righteousness about a war against that, trying to stop that situation. And the person who has to wage that can, to a large extent, say, well, listen, I didn't actually create this mess, but I'm here to fix it. Yeah. And if, if the context in which I must fix this means that I have to actually wage war against the people who, who have been waging war in the direction of destroying society, if I have to wage war back to try and provide some balance and fix, to a certain extent, try and fix society, then obviously that's, mm-hmm. that's uh, it's, 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 it's the rules of the game. Yeah. You know? A game of American football or some kind of contact sport, you know. You don't walk in there and say, I'm going to play this game, but I'm going to play by pacifist rules. You know, yeah. like uh, judo or something, you know. 
or American football. I'm going. I'm not going to touch anybody, but I want everybody to play nice. No more charging into each other and no more kicking and biting. Yeah. And everybody say, and you say, okay, go ahead. First yeah, you try it. Get your legs bit off and uh, you're out of the game. Good job. It's. I think that among the, uh, the kind of pacifist anti-war movement, there's a lot of just naivety about the nature of violence because violence will always be with humanity. It's always been here. It'll, it'll always be there. Mm-hmm. And to just be, even Gandhi himself wasn't a complete um, pacifist. There were certain conditions where violence was acceptable even to Gandhi. And if you think about it, like Joe was just saying, if you become a complete pacifist in a world full of belligerent, aggressive people, you're going to get killed. Mm-hmm. And it's just that simple. You can't, you can't totally avoid violence. You could bombard them with love and light. Yeah, and that's, <laughs> that's not going to work. So the way I see it... There's a lot of New Agers that disagree with you. Yeah, yeah, They've I know. had it for years, and they're seeing massive changes from the bombardment <laughs> with love and light. The world has turned around, turned a corner in the last... 20 years. Yeah. I mean, you turn off the TV and all of a sudden the wars go away. Right. I mean, that, yeah. it, that's just the proof right there that it works because no one else is dying. Right. I didn't say anybody died. No. Did I turn my TV off? Yeah. Me neither. But, <laughs> but I think if we come back to, the, to where we started the show about the, um, the kind of just causes for, for taking a life, there, there is some truth to those situations, not only on the on the kind of local, personal level among communities and just small groups of people, but among the world community. So, for example, take uh, a large nation, like let's take Russia, for example. If Russia were to go totally, um, you know, hipster, granola, pacifist, and say, okay, we're just going to totally dismantle our military, you know, we're going to totally disavow any kind of violence or anything that even suggests violence, um, what are they going to get? Well, you know, the, the, it's open. You know, Russia's open for the next take. Whoever wants to come in and just and just take over, it's it doesn't work on the international scale like that. Now, the thing about pretty much every war that we've experienced, let's just say for the past hundred, hundred and fifty years, they've all had pretexts, and those pretexts have been using the rationale of those examples that we gave, either self-defense or going after the evil bad do, mm-hmm. the evildoer, the bad guy. Now, but there have always been ulterior motives, and in most cases, in many cases, they've just been total lies. So we want to take over this country. The way we're going to do it is that we're going to say that that guy is an evil dictator, and, he's, and we're going to make up atrocity stories about what's going on mm-hmm. to get the support so that we can go in there and take over and kill a bunch of people in order to do so. Or... The self-defense thing, mm-hmm. Ooh, and but oftentimes, well, you can do that with like the Bay of Pigs and fake an attack in order to respond to it, or you can just make something up that like might kind of justify a preemptive strike, like the weapons of mass destruction for Iraq. Um, so you just make stuff up, and you start these wars based on total lies for reasons that have no just cause whatsoever. But on the other hand, like you're saying, Joe, we've had all these wars and we've got warfare going on now and, and immense violence going on that has been caused by these lies. Now, um, we've talked for years about um, Al-Qaeda and Muslim terrorism and how it's a creation of the U.S. and it's a joke and it's not really real in a, in a sense. In another sense, it is real in the, it, just in the sense that it is created by the U.S. and there are these jihadi nut jobs who are going around killing 
thousands of people all over the world. Now, what's the response to that? There you have a real evil mm. created by a bigger evil mm-hmm. that is committing evil all over right. the planet. So what is the response to that? Who, who in their right mind is going to say to the Syrian people, for example, that you should just lay down the Syrian army, you should just lay down and you know, be totally pacifist, mm. you know, disavow any kind of warfare, and just let them come. Let the free Syrian army and al-Nusra and ISIS, let, just, just let, let them in. And, uh, um, okay, well, you know, you might get your head chopped off, you might be tortured, blah, 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 but just let it happen because violence is bad. No, I mean, I don't think anyone is going right. to advocate for that. No, if, you, if someone is coming, it's going to chop your head off, you're going to defend yourself, right? And you're going to do it as as well and as smartly and as effectively as you can. Mm-hmm. And that is what the Syrian army is doing, and that's what Russia is doing by joining the Syrian army in their attacks. But, that, but that's exactly the the subtext of what the U.S. has been kind of saying to the world. Exactly. Right? Yeah. It's it's uh, it's well, Assad is a butcher. Assad must go. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, Assad must go. And incidentally. If What's we that? haven't mentioned this before, Assad must go. Yes. Yeah. So that you know, that one idea becomes the uh, the, the the guiding principle. Uh, you you know, Saddam has WMD. Saddam has WMD. Mm-hmm. I, it's just uh, and somehow uh, it's like what you were saying earlier, Joe. It's it's the big lie. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, the big lie is is the big problem. Um, but. I think we're going to shift gear here into something a little lighter, but of no less import. Exactly, probably even of greater import. Maybe even, possibly, yeah. (laughs) yeah, I'm not going to stick my neck out in that one. Maybe of of greater import. What I'm talking about, obviously, is a pop culture roundup from Relic. Relic, welcome. What's going on? Are you there? Can we get some new music? Hello? Well, goodness gracious me. Is it that time again? It looks like you're all in store for another astonishing edition of Pop Culture Roundup. Your old friend Relic here, ensconced upon the cold, white, fluffy shores of Upper Lake Canada, where some years the snow drifts get so high, we have to dig tunnels from one place to another, just like the infamous albino mole men who live underground in the hollow earth. Only instead of being naked subterranean mushroom-picking slaves, we'll all be wearing mucklucks, toques, and eiderdown parkas. And as usual, today we're going to pay a visit to the fine restaurants of Beverly Hills and see if we can't cook us up a hot dish of celebrity gossip whose recipe, I suppose, might include a a dash of pearly white veneers and and a pinch of six-pack abs and a tablespoonful of superficial excess. 
maybe half a cup of narcissistic vanity and four gallons of industrial-strength silicone. Mmm, I bet that tastes as good as it sounds. So, let's take a peek under the electronic virtual rug of Tinseltown and see what the celebrity MetaNet has in store for us this week. Time Magazine tells us that eccentric pop diva Lady Gaga is poised to make a move from bad singing to even worse acting by starring in the latest season of American Horror Story Hotel. The show's producers were tight-lipped about the plot of this season's storyline, but entertainment pundits have speculated that this particular story is simply a biography of Lady Gaga's life and will show such disturbing true-life tidbits as the Pure horror on Lady Gaga's face when she receives the final bill for all her ridiculous costumes over the years. And we'll also include another grisly scene about how she wrote her hit song, A Poker in the Face. And lastly, the most terrifying of all, the show will include actual video footage from start to finish of how her bloody meat dress was actually made. Now there's an example of American culture at its finest. And moving on now, with Halloween just around the corner, some websites have been busy keeping up with the latest trends by designing costumes straight from this year's headlines, like the inexplicably sought-after, kind of creepy transgender Caitlyn Jenner costume which we covered in the previous episode of Pop Culture Roundup. And then there's some other stores that have already sold out of the Cecil the Lion Killer dentist costume. But the most popular by far is the all-new sexy Donald Trump costume that sells for only $70 on eBay. Which is a heck of a bargain, in my opinion, because it must have taken a team of genius fashion designers working nonstop for months to, to make anything related to Donald Trump seem sexy in any way possible. Kudos to those brave and fearless gentlemen. The costume apparently comes with a white sleeveless shirt, a crimson red tie, royal blue blazer, and a baseball cap that reads, Let's Make America Great Again. And to complete this ensemble, the costume includes a lifelike Donald Trump hair wig, which is actually a steel Brillo pad spray-painted with a shimmering golden hue. 
Now all that remains for the person wearing this ostentatious getup is to shout loudly about immigrants at the top of their voice whenever they speak. And then everyone at the party will undoubtedly think that the real Donald Trump has just arrived. Now there's an example of American culture at its finest. And speaking of our favorite bloated, loudmouth, billionaire presidential nominee, NBC Studios have announced that the kindergarten cops the Bostria from Austria, Mr. Arnold Schwarzenegger, has been picked to replace Donald Trump as host of the reality TV show Celebrity Apprentice. I suppose it makes sense in a strange kind of way, really, as Donald planned to go from TV celebrity buffoon to U.S. presidential buffoon, Arnold is now going from entertaining TV governor to governing TV entertainer. And although Trump's famous catchphrase, you're fired, will no longer be used, Arnold, the testosterone-enhanced, overly emasculated Conan the Barbarian actor, has narrowed the field of his own unique catchphrase down to two final candidates, either uh, you're terminated or you'll not be back. You should not drink and bake. Asked to comment on the choice of Mr. Schwarzenegger as his replacement, Donald Trump had this to say. How stupid can you be? I don't want to ruin your day. I didn't want him up here. He just, this is an aggressive man, you see? And you can't be happy about that. In some young adult literary news, to mark the 10th anniversary of the release of her influential teen vampire romance novels, uh, Twilight, author Stephanie Myers has delivered a gift to her legions of illiterate fans by publishing a reimagined version of the Twilight Saga that swaps the genders of the love-struck central couple. Instead of Bella and Edward, the main characters are now named Bo and Edith. Otherwise, the story remains essentially the same. And although Miss Myers has yet to reveal what she plans to do with the oodles of money she will earn from her lonely, frustrated fan base for spending all of five minutes changing a few names on a word processor, literary critics around the world all agree that her novel still stinks to high heaven, as much now as it did then. And there's an example of American culture at its finest. 
In our last story, People Magazine reports that Justin Bleeper has been caught up in a, a nude photo scandal while vacationing with his girlfriend in Bora Bora where photos of his penis were deliberately leaked online. I'm not sure what's more shocking, kids, that Mr. Bleeber's privacy has been so publicly violated or the fact that he actually has a penis at all. Oh, will wonders never cease. Anyway, looks like we've come to the end of another show for this week, kids. It's time for me to take up the main sail and batten down the hatches for another long, dreamless night in this winter wonderland. So, until next time, is your old friend Relic here saying, always remember... Keep your feet on the ground and your eyes on the stars. All right, thanks, Relic. That was uh, very entertaining and informative as usual. Um, We're going to leave it there for this week, folks. Um, We hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, Thanks to Alan for being a special co-host this week. Thanks for having me. And Harrison. Make peace. Not war. Exactly. Except when it's justified. Uh, see you all next week, man, folks. Have a good one. <laughs>